Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers 2023 edition. I am Brandon Golder, and with me, it is your friend, my friend. It is Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what's I, up, man? I feel like I needed to pick up some intro music for my WWE walkdown ramp. Uh, I, I might I, edit I, some I, in. I now, I now feel unprepared, so if, if uh, request, I'll take anything from The Miz. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you got it. Uh, I might edit some in there, but uh, I'm excited because the season is starting and we haven't been together and haven't recorded in a while. Um, yeah, well, last, time all, we, last time we recorded, you were, a, you were a young whippersnapper of an engaged man, I believe. I know. I was unmarried. I was, and now I'm fully married. And you got to attend the wedding, which I really appreciate, Ryan, for all those who don't know. Drove all the way up to Seattle to see his friend and his friend's now wife get married. It was really cool. I'm so glad you were there. Um, Team Blueberry all the way, bitch. Yeah, we had the <laughs> we had the the tables for the dinner. We had different names for, her. and so yeah, Ryan's table had a lot of very snappy, sassy, sarc- it was like the sarcasm table. I don't know if Cassie organized people like that on purpose, but I think it worked out well. I asked, and she said yes. <laughs> nice. And, I, and so we told her that she uh, she hit that one out of the park because, yeah, we were definitely the loudest, most inappropriate, and sassiest table there. I am. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I, I still, I mean, there's a lot of funny things about that, but that my friend Michelle was calling my friend Angelo D'Angelo. And I mean, that's even the least of it, but anyway, yeah. Uh, but how, how are you? What is, what's been going on? How's your summer? How is your mid summer, mid October? See, it's been that long. Yeah. Uh, it's been busy. I now have two kids in sports that have competing sports schedules. I'm coaching my son's soccer team again this season. Season. So, you know, my daughter then started playing softball and is getting into that. So it has been a ton of running around back and forth. I think I maybe only have one day a week where it's typically nothing is planned. Work's, you- been, in- work's been insane. Uh, went on a trip shortly after your wedding for my uh, seven year anniversary. So it's uh, it's it's been busy. Nice. Wait, are you holding those kids accountable? Are you the Chauncey Billups of your kids soccer team? Uh, are you Mr. Accountability? Yes. Are you, put, yes. Are you putting an address on it, Ryan? <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I am. I, I do hold them accountable because I run a very strict uh, uh, formation. I do a, a three-two-three in, in, in my uh, in my formations, and it you know it's an eleven, twelve-year-old age group, so it's still like trying to herd cats. But I, I I do have a clipboard. I do diagram things on the side. I do try I hope to you explain have a five-year zone, contract, Ryan. That's zones all I have to say. and coverages with them. Well, I will say so. Technically, this year. I am an assistant coach because I wasn't sure if I was going to coach again this year. And, uh, I keep saying year it's all in the same year. So he played spring ball and now he's playing fall ball. So in the spring, I was the only coach and that team demanded that they stay together. And a lot of the kids begged me to coach again because they said I was their favorite coach that they've had, which was mind blowing to me because I I had never coached before. And then I had parents that were messaging me going, my son's only going to play if you coach again. That's awesome. So That's, I kind of I mean, had, is there I a higher had to, compliment. I know. I kind of had to sign up again. And also, too, there was a little bit of that. My son wanted to play again, and I didn't want to relinquish the power of letting somebody else dictate where he played. 
Oh my god! But one oh, of the other man. One, one of the other dads also signed up to coach, and alphabetically he won the head coach spot. But him and I have a good dynamic. He's very good at running practices and drills and whatever. And then during the games, I'm the one that's in charge, that's setting the lineups and and all that stuff. But yes, I, I very much do hold the kids kids accountable. We had a uh, so then are you the ki- Terry Stotts to his Rick Carlisle? Is that what's going on? I I think you could say that we had, we had one kid where he came out of the game. He was starting the first half as goalie and he didn't have the world's best showing. And he came off to the sidelines and literally said, well, the defenders suck and they're letting too many people get, get shots. And I said, dude, you can't tell your teammates that you suck. You need to apologize. He goes, no, they need to do better. And I said, then you can take your cleats off. You're not playing the second half until you apologize. And he sat on the sidelines and cried the rest of the game. Didn't apologize. This generation of kids, I'll tell you what. Well, I whether you're the Chauncey Billups to the Portland Trailblazers franchise or the Terry Stotts to the Rick Carlisle, it is very flattering that kids want you to come back. Honestly, kids well, are see my kids are honest and they're not going to say that if they don't mean it. My personal opinion is that both of those are compliments, but that's for later on in the pod. That is for later on in the pod. Um, we wanted to do a season preview, and we're gonna do that. Uh, but before we do that. Uh, let's talk just a little bit about the off season and the preseason just kind of in, in big general terms. And we'll talk about some of the key actors in this play that we call the 2022, 23 trailblazers season. All right. So the blazers play their first actual game on Wednesday in Sacramento. They went one and four in the preseason. And the one win that they had was against a non NBA team an Israeli team. And so I my question that. That was the game I got to present Kevin Calabro with his box of bobbleheads. That's right. So that's, that's cool. I mean, you got to see the one win. you got to see Shaden sharp really kind of play out. That's pretty cool. But let me start the episode by asking you a very simple question. Ryan, does this year's preseason matter? Depends on what you're looking for. For me, and it's part of the reason why I know you really wanted to record this preseason preview uh, before the preseason started. And I was adamant about no, let's wait, let's watch, let's watch some preseason games because otherwise we're in in my mind, we're just trying to preview what the season's gonna look like based off of, you know, what we think is on paper. So I wanted to, you know, see see some quote unquote live action, you know, going in. And there's been some disappointing things, but there's, I think that there's been some, some stuff you can see some, some scheme kind of stuff, some rotation kind of stuff, you know, obviously one of the big things stands out, you know, Keenan Johnson getting a a big run. And so, you know, you can assume he's going to play a decent part in the lineup, but you know, record wise, no, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter for the simple reason of that. Those games don't count towards where you fall in the standings at the end of the year. But you can always, there's little things you can take away. You can look at, you know, effort levels. You can look at, you know, if, you know, in game one, some positioning kind of stuff is, is there's some rust. Is that kind of squared up a little bit by the final game or, you know, are they trending towards or away from, you know, certain areas that you think they need to improve. And I I think that's how you kind of got to have to look at the preseason. It's, it's not like, Oh my God, they went one for four. And the only team they beat is a team from the middle East, uh, who's has, you know, prospective NBA players on it. It's, it's, you got to look at schemes, got to look at effort, got to, got to kind of pick apart from that way and not necessarily take anything from the wins and losses. (laughs) 
So in your opinion, what do you think is the most meaningful thing that you are taking away from the preseason? Um, probably the most meaningful thing that I'm taking away from the preseason is that this team, it's one of its biggest struggles this year is going to be that it wants to get out and run. And that's not something that Dame, I don't want to say is necessarily capable of doing. I just don't think it's something it's not that something he, he wants to do or something he's yeah. ever shown he wants to do. Yeah. And it's kind of like a double-edged sword of like, this team is, is it's athletic enough to get out and run. It can thrive if it gets out and runs. But at the same point in time, you have a point guard who is elite in the pick and roll and screen, rescreen, screening, you know, all this get open and scoring that way. Um, but that also harkens back to all those complaints that we had about like that, that people had about, you know, that Terry Sots offense is that it was, you know, it was dull, it was boring. And so it's, how do you unlock, I'm curious. And, and there were little glimpses of it in certain preseason games of how do you unlock, uh, taking advantage of both. You know, a lot of people want to just throw out the, well, Dame just needs to accept being off ball more. Okay. Well, that's, you don't, you don't win basketball games by taking the ball out of your best player's hands. No, you, know, you don't. One, one little wrinkle that I noticed in a couple of the games is that, and especially in game one, when they were playing the Clippers, which was probably the most competitive preseason game that they had had, um, was you saw Ant taking the ball up the court a lot more than Dame. And, Ant was the one that was initiating these, these, uh, dribble handoffs and making the cuts and whatnot. And Dame was, you know, floating to space and, and kind of opening up things for his teammates that way. Granted in that game shots weren't falling, but they were getting a ton of open looks that way. So, you know, that's maybe something that I'm, I'm interested in watching how that goes throughout the season is Ant a little more of the primary ball handler ish kind of guy and, and Dame's, you know, that way he's not having to do the run around and do all those screens or, you know, that the Steph Curry off ball movement kind of stuff. Right. I mean, that's, we've heard for a long time from some folks like, Oh, I wish that Dame could, you know, if Terry Stotts only let Dame run off the ball more and run around, it's like Dame doesn't want to do that probably. And I say that because he has never shown that he has done that, which leads me to believe that he doesn't want to do it. Right. And that's, so, and that's not a coaching thing too. people. You know, they wanted to point at that with Terry. They're pointing at it with Chauncey. You cannot coach your superstar franchise player to stop doing the thing that he's best at doing. You no, want to I mean, lose, you want to lose a locker room. That's how you do it. This, this would be and, exactly and that's for how someone who's will. actually healthy and still in their prime. Look how hard it is for people like Russell Westbrook or like Carmelo Anthony or like, I, Allen Iverson to accept that they're no longer the player they used to be. It's hard enough for players like that who are old. It's impossible yeah. for people who are still in their prime. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's part of then too, the, you know, that goes into the roster construction is if, is if Dame wants to play in that, you know, slow half court set offense or whatnot, one of the best way things that you can do is put a bunch of super athletic, quick players around him to compliment him. He can slow it down and you can have, you know, four other guys that are moving around and flying around the court for whatnot, creating that havoc. You know, we, we saw some version of that back in the Mo Harkless Al Farouk Amino era. It's just, you couldn't trust either of those guys when the ball came to them. Yeah, that's true. Let me ask one more question about this. And I want to insert my own opinion. 
just looking at the preseason, you mentioned effort levels, you mentioned kind of what they need to improve. You mentioned their schemes. Uh, you mentioned Ant working off the ball more and you said kind of let's ignore the record, right? Let's ignore the one mm-hmm. to four record since preseason. What is your, and it's been a couple days. What is your takeaway from this preseason? If you were to sum it up in one sentence, what's your takeaway from, from this preseason? Um, my takeaway would probably be, and I think this comes back to a direct quote of, uh, what Joe Cronin said at media day, but in one sentence, I'd say work in progress. And how does that make you feel as a fan? See, now it's funny. Now this is one of those things where it benefits that we've seen a couple preseason games. If you would have asked me this, before any preseason games happened, it probably would have made me feel like crap. But now that I've seen some things and I can kind of like put some puzzle pieces together in my head, I'm okay with it. And I, I, part of it to me, boils down. part of it to me boils down to, you know, we've went into every other season with, uh, you know, the used car salesman telling us that this is the best team ever assembled and that, you know, throwing out projections of that, you know, we project to win X number of games with Al Farouk Aminu starting at the four and all that. Basically we're used to getting lied to. We, I think I've, I've mentioned this before. We're, we're exiting an abusive relationship and now it's hard for us to trust in our new relationship. And we have to work through that. But in media day, you know, uh, Cronin came out and said, you know, for this podcast, my friend (laughs) Cronin came out and said, you know, we're, we're not complete, you know, we're, we're not done. This roster is, is, you know, is, is still a work in progress. And Billups, wait wait a minute, hold on. Billups even said that too. And, and, and whatever. So I think they, what their goal is, is to, you know, play around and see, see what works and be as competitive as they can be. I don't think the goal, this will sound stupid. I don't think the goal is to it's to them. It's not playoffs or bust. I think this is a, another step in the progress. And it's, I know it it sounds hard because again, nine years of kicking the can down the road, but I think next year is where you can really start holding feet to the fire on people. So that's just, that's just my view. And so my, my thoughts right now is that this team is a work in progress. But someone not lying to you about the team doesn't make the team any better. No, but it's we're not getting sold that this team is better than it is. I think the management but that doesn't coach, change the on court product. I know, but if they're working towards a better on court product and they're letting us know and telling us that it's incomplete and they're working on making this product better, okay, and you're okay with it so far. I wasn't, I wasn't before I'm finding myself that way now. Okay. That's, that's fair. Um, well, I'll say just to answer one of my own questions to me, my biggest takeaway from the preseason was how Damian Lillard looked mobility wise. None of this matters if Damian Lillard isn't right. And to me, he looked right. Wouldn't really show up in the box score, but watching him play, watching him move, he looks fine, which is great. I also think, I mean, Damian Lillard does not usually start seasons ultra strong. So I'm not expecting him to come out game one and be like peak form. But I think that based on what I have seen, which is a limited sample, it's only a couple of games. I'm feeling very encouraged about that. And I think everything else doesn't matter if that piece isn't fit in 
Like, and again, this is assuming that where the Blazers are right now in their timeline of franchise building, that they're still with building around Damian Lillard, which I think is an assumption that all of us are, are taking as kind of the, the, the MO at this point. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? How did Dame look to you? Yeah, he, he looks great. And, and I agree with everything that you just, just stated. I mean, this, why thank franchi- you. This franchise will, <laughs> that will happens so rarely. You know. Wait, can you say that again? Just so I can hear it. No, you can, you can clip it later if you want, Gosh, darn it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this, this franchise lives and dies with, with Damian Lillard. I'll uh, look at last season, but I, I, the reason that I didn't necessarily list that as, 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 you know, my biggest thing in my summation is because I've been preaching forever that I, I was convinced that he would come back to, you know, pre-injury form. So can't really say it was surprised. I can't be surprised and say it's my biggest takeaway when it's something I expected to happen. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping it would happen. I thought it was possible that it would happen. And and again, it's still a pretty small sample size. You can't conclude too much yet, but I mean, early returns look good on that. I would say yeah, one you can last just thing see it in a comfortability of his movements. So totally. No. Yes. I, I mean, the, driving, the moves, driving to the rim a lot more He's He's not yes. fading away from contact. He's not avoiding those kind of things and he's feeling comfortable in his body, which is, yes. you know, the, the most things he and, was trying to do were Dame like things. He wasn't shying away from them. Yeah. And it wasn't like, this is an injury, like a torn Achilles or anything where after surgery, like you have to retrain your body and, and learn to trust it and whatnot. It was always, you look at the medical history of this, you know, that abdominal injury, it's basically like, you can always play through it. It's going to hurt. But as soon as we get in there and fix it, you're good. You're back to hundred percent. I'm still interested in the physiology of, of how that works exactly. Like I'm not a doctor and I don't like that. It doesn't, that doesn't seem intuitive to me, but I mean, we're going to find out because we have two other players on the Blazers roster who had a similar surgery, right. In in Nas yeah. and Gary Payton, the second, which maybe we'll talk about them a little bit later, but yeah, I mean, he, I think Damian Lillard looking good is absolutely far and away the most important thing about the preseason. I will say, I disagree with you. My, I am less hopeful about the team this year, watching those preseason games for a number of reasons. Um, some of which we're going to get into. And so maybe I'll table it for now, but like, I am not as okay with what I saw as you were. Um, but again, Damian Lillard looking like he did to me, that kind of trumps most of it. Yeah. Okay. To that point, let's talk about Dame. If you don't mind, uh, we talked about, he looks good. That's really encouraging. What are you either expecting or hoping for from Damian Lillard this season? And I'm going to kind of stack my question really quick because part of it is how he looks physically, but part of it is with a different coach with different players around him. I'm just curious, what are you either hoping for or expecting from Dame in the regular season? I'm expecting, you know, I'm expecting him to make an all-star team again. Uh, again, weird Western conference fans are fans until we get a team in Seattle. Nobody's going to put any more eyeballs up in our lonely little corner. I don't expect him to make a fan fan vote starting thing, but I expect him, you know, to be right around his averages, you know, something, you know, 27. You know, Zaza some. Pachulia can do it. What, uh, remind me again, what team Zaza was playing for at the time. I can't even remember, man. I just remember that he was almost voted an all-star starter. And then he like, they probably tabulated yeah. some votes differently to make sure yeah. he didn't was get it, that. Spot. Was he in an LA market or 
I don't, I, I have to be honest. I don't remember being in an LA market, <laughs> being in an LA market, you can be a real shitty player and still make an all-star team. And yeah. And he's an international player too. So like, I exactly. But, um, you get the, you get the Yelming love that way. So, I mean, I expect him to kind of, you know, return to form and whatnot. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see his assist numbers, uh, tick a little higher than his, his career averages. You know, he's got a lot more, uh, guys on this team that can knock down open shots. And so, I mean, I, I expect Dame to, it sounds stupid. I expect Dame to be Dame. I it's he's, he's got a long enough career and a big enough resume to where I, I, I just ex- expect certain things from him. Do I think he's going to win the scoring title or anything this year? Hell no. That, probably not that level of, of outburst, but, or feeling, I don't think he's going to feel the need to put the team on his back like he has in previous years. And for reasons I mean, that we can, we, for reasons that not. we can, t- for reasons that we can touch on a little later now, but fine. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is at least so far, I haven't seen Chauncey Billups ask Damian Lillard to do much different offensively or defensively, frankly, than he's ever done. Right. Like I haven't, I, I personally haven't seen anything that suggests, Oh, like they're really trying to use Dame differently. And so from that perspective, if he looks good physically and he's being asked to play a similar role as he's always played, that gives me great confidence in Damian Lillard. The player will be fine. The only kind of squiggly, almost a question mark, I don't know what grammatical symbol I could use. It kind of looks like a question mark, but isn't quite uh, what, I don't know. I can't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Is it how he looks next to Anthony Simons? Again, really small sample size is not great. Does that concern you at all? Especially there were some comments from Anthony Simons like, Oh yeah, you know, we got to learn how to play together. It's like, well, didn't okay, you, well, didn't you guys comment. know that for like the last two years, it was going to come to that. Like you haven't been thinking about that working on that during the summer or anything like that. I got to know that. Did, that was you, a little weird to me. did you read that quote or did you listen to that quote? I digested that quote and it's in my brain in some form. Okay. Cause that quote fascinates me. <laughs> it is the epitome of internet culture on if you listened to it in that, you know, in that little snippet of post game and whatnot, it's very nonchalant. Like, yeah, you know, we're just still, still gelling, figuring it out or whatever. And then if you listen to that, if you listen to that quote, you take it in a completely different context than if you just read that quote. So I find Wait it. Wait a minute. Now, no, no, no. I, 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 but, because, but the whole thing is like, it, like it's, I, I just had, I think it's if you see a direct word for word quote, there's only so much that body language and tone can change about it. If you look at the lineup data over the last few years, you know, Dame and Ant haven't played significant time together with Ant playing the, for lack of a better term, the CJ role. So the only, the only player on this team that Dame has played significant minutes with over all the years is Yusuf Nurkic. Those are the only guys that don't need to go through any sort of a learning curve. So Ant in that context, I'm taking it as that he just, he's trying to learn how, or he's trying to figure out his role as a number two, as opposed to like a number five or six. So here's my only concern about that logic is we remember all those many years ago. I can't believe it's been seven, eight years ago now where CJ McCollum, his coming out party was the year that Wes Matthews got injured. Right. And he started showing out near the end of that year. And even in some of those playoff games in 2015, he didn't have any time at all to p- play into that role. Like it, D- Dame and Ant have known for a year that 
you know, that Ant and Dame were going to have to play together. At least they've known for some number of months, right? So I guess for me, like, I'm concerned that it doesn't look a little better just because CJ, mm-hmm. when he was coming up, was able to kind of slot into that role immediately. And by the way, CJ wasn't even with the team for as long as Anthony Simons has been at that point. That was only CJ's second year in the league. Yeah. And CJ came in and did CJ things. And when he got past the ball, he did, he did his, you know, CJ victims unit stuff. He dribbled the ball. He found open shots. You know, he, he did his things when ants been playing and he's come in, if he's been playing next to Dame or heck even CJ or whatnot in minutes off the bench, he was coming in as a spot up shooter. He was coming in, you know, as, as a floor spacer, he wasn't asked to do a lot when he blew, when he got his time to shine and he blew up last year, he was a primary ball handler and he was running the point and he didn't have somebody like Dame next to him that, you know, and until CJ was traded, you know, he had CJ for, for limited minutes running next to him. So this is the first time that Dame and Ant are playing in this capacity together and so there is going to be a little bit of a feeling out and i'm not worried about it because it's uh, they're both absolutely fantastic players and i think that ant's profile as a player is a lot more fitting towards how dame plays than cj's was so yeah i guess i mean and to be fair it's all a small sample size right so i'm not trying to say oh this proves that anthony simons cannot work next to dame that's not what i'm saying so I guess time will tell on that. Um, Let's pivot because the thing that binds all the different players together, and don't worry, we have at least one more player to get to. The thing that binds this all together is Chauncey Billups. And if you would allow me to do a brief introduction to this specific topic, we've had some notable Blazers reporters and journalists come out and say a great many things about Chauncey Billups. Jason quick of the athletic Jason quick after taking a bit of a hiatus this summer to focus on his mental well-being. And by the way, Jason, hope you're doing well. And, um, you know, I'm glad that by the way, that he was able to take a break and to be able to share that that's why he was doing it. Cause I think it's important to actually talk about that stuff and to normalize it. So Jason, all the best to you, but Jason came out and he wrote, uh, you know, can Chauncey Billups coach? And his answer was, We'll see. That doesn't sound very inspiring. Dave Deckard of Blazers Edge said that the Blazers are not a Duplo kit roster. That box is marked ages 15 plus. Meanwhile, Billups is at best two. He didn't coach anywhere, college, high school, G League, before taking the lead position in Portland. End quote. That is not inspiring either. And yours truly, last year, wrote that for Chauncey Billups to be successful, that he needs to go back to the drawing board and actually involve the players in building a shared vision for the team wants to go. He has not looked good. I don't think so far as a coach in general and nothing about this preseason instills more confidence in me with Chauncey Billups, Ryan, what say you? Not worried. Throw last year out. Wasn't playing with full complement of his tools. This wow. is his true. This is Just his true year one. Ignore the facts ha- right in front of your I face. Ha- huh? I have. Just I have zero eye, worries. The <laughs> I have zero worry. Zero confidence. This is a team that Chauncey helped put together with a bunch of Chauncey's guys. Um, the again, the one glaring kind of thing that's going to need to be addressed is how do you get the most out of the players around Dame while still letting Dame do what he does best. 
And when they're two, he didn't do that last when, year. When they're two, uh, he didn't th- throw last year out. Last year was absolute crap. The vibes were crap. <laughs> they were. They Why were, not were the, the vibes pr- crap? Oh, it's not Chauncey's Could it fault. have been it's- the coach? No, the coach decides who plays and when. Thank you, Mike Richmond. So when the players get on the court, everything that's owned is by them. How they want to play, their effort level, you know, if they want to give a flying fuck. Uh, no matter what, you cannot get your boss to get you to care more about something if you don't care about it in the first place. So I'm not worried about it. The Chauncey shitting on is absolutely hilarious. I mean, I if you want to have hindsight, does anybody still wish that we had hired Ime? Uh, yeah, I'll go there. <laughs> uh, to be fair, but, that is like that's not about coaching. Just to be really clear about that. Oh, I'm 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 aware. So uh, let me then before I'm going to insert a little bit more of my own opinion. But really quick, we did get some listener questions. We appreciate you from at and I know I think I know where we're going with this based on what you just said. But uh, Edmund Dantes at Lord Wilmore asks, how long until um, Chauncey Billups wh- gets wh- the hook? Wh- with with a roster, oh, hold on. If there's not marked improvement or whatnot with a roster that is now you know filled with quote unquote Chauncey's guys, then then yeah, I'll start to be curious on on if he can coach. Uh, how long till Chauncey gets the hook? Uh, until he has one year left on the deal if he can't put it together. Yeah. By the way, <clears throat> a little peek behind the curtain. We've been having some audio issues, so it happened again. So I didn't realize you were trying to interrupt me. So sorry about that. Um, it's all good. Fair. Uh, yeah. I so. To that specific question, how long before Chauncey gets the hook? I I actually, to me personally, so far, there has been precious little that I can say, wow, Chauncey Billups is really good at that part of coaching. In fact, I'm not sure there's anything that I can point to with that. I mean, my problem with how Chauncey Billups has talked about his coaching philosophy has been very, very old school, like, I've got information wisdom and I need to give it to you. And my job as a coach is to figure out how to most effectively transfer this special thing that I have to you, the players, and then you do it. That's not coaching and that's not leadership. And particularly not in 2022 coaching and leadership is about looking at your team, figuring out what is it that we want to do? Ideally you're building that vision together, together being kind of the important point here and then figuring out how to utilize people's best skills. How do you get them to do things that maybe they don't naturally want to do? That's definitely part of it. Accountability is a part of it, but part of it is being a good listener. Part of it is being curious. Part of it is being flexible. Those are not qualities that I've seen Chauncey Billups has as a coach. That's my issue with it. You and I have different outlooks on coaching then completely. Again, a coach decides who plays and when he outlines the vision to his team. Uh, if his team doesn't want to buy in, I mean, that's, you know, it's part of it, uh, part of its attitude. I don't think uh, you can call him a bad coach because Rocco and Powell last year didn't necessarily buy into, you know, what, they wanted, what they wanted to do. You can't make if me care. Can, about- if you can't get adults to do the thing, that's the coach is doing the players to do the thing and find players that'll do the thing which is what they went out this off season and did. And what evidence do we have that he's good at that with the new players? That's why I said throw last year out and we'll talk at the end of this season on if he's a good coach. If the, if, guess- if he has a team quit on him this year, then yeah, I'll call his coaching into question and he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, but uh, it's coaching to me is not this, you know, it's, it's not this gigantic, 
it's not as important as people seem to think it is in that every single time a basketball team crosses the half court line that they are running this play or doing this action or whatever a coach can tell them, Hey, maybe let's try to attack this player a little more, you know? Uh, but again, it's who plays and wins and some out of bounds timeouts, some smart clock management kind of stuff. And then just getting the best that you can out of your players, you know, in practice, if they don't want to listen, trade them. If they don't want to, you know, listen, don't resign them. Find guys that want to play in your system last year. You know, I think Chauncey, attempted to do that with certain guys and those guys didn't want to buy in. And I'm not going to hold that against the coach. There Why? is, there is they, a little bit now I will add in with the other coach. <laughs> yeah. Cause the other coach, you know, they went to a system that more fit of what they wanted to do. And Chauncey's, Isn't you know, that the goal rogue, the rogue coaching co- is you take the pieces that you have, right? Like you don't fully get to decide your team in the moment. Like, okay. If this okay, were fantasy if, basketball, hold on, hold on, hold on real quick. So if that was the case, and then there was a team that one year was absolutely in the tank sucked balls and then they fire their coach in the off season and make very minimal personnel changes or whatnot. And so it's damn near the same team and you get a new coach in there, then that team should never mind. All right. I yeah, lost. No, I, lost I, my, no. hey, I think, it's, I think you're coming along to, I think you're starting to agree with anyways, me, which is the right way to feel gonna, line, I, agreeing with me is correct. And the right fine, thing to whatever. do whatever anyways <laughs> wait a minute no not anyways because like i think this I, is important i don't think chauncey's a shitty coach and that's fine I, I don't think he's a good coach and i will reserve that judgment until next year because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make a bunch of judgments based off five preseason games and a season last year where it just went to absolute shit obviously I, obviously the vibes weren't good coming in i mean like for for like okay here's a better example phoenix was an absolute monster last year you know, they made it to the finals uh, with relatively close to the same team, same superstars. Uh, you would expect them to be that close this year. Uh, they are the leader of the clubhouse of the bad vibes team. And I don't expect Phoenix Phoenix to be anywhere near as good as they were last year because the vibes are bad. But there's no difference. Bad. Well, Robert Sarver's an asshole, but <laughs> that too. Okay, but 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 still, you know, vibes are. You're bad. making my point though, and let me explain why. That Unless Monty Williams, that Monty Williams is a shitty coach, and he's lost the locker room because he's not taking full advantage of his players. There's an element of that, and here's why: with a specific player, like who should be their third, coming up to being their second most important player in the franchise, DeAndre Ayton, former number one pick, someone who has been, like by reporting, has been yelled at a bunch by Chris Paul, has been hounded a bunch by Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Monty Williams for him to do certain things. We need you to do this, and we need you to do that, and we need you to like. And he's mostly for the years he's been in Phoenix and when the Suns have been successful, DeAndre Aiden has mostly done those things, mostly has done those things, right? Mm-hmm. And then we saw all of a sudden, really bizarrely, in the finals, that the team just sort of it sort sort of evaporated, right? Like it all just went poof. And part of it is, oh, well, they got COVID. Okay, that was part of it. Part of it is that and then DeAndre Ayton was was benched at the at the the second half or most of the second half in their last in their last game. 
That's interesting. Now, why is that, right? It's because, according to national podcast reporting that we have, DeAndre Aiden was getting a little sick and tired of their shit. He was getting a little sick and tired of just being demanded to go set screens and do this and do that and, and don't do any of the things that you actually want to do as a player. Just do only the things we tell you to do. That, to me, like, as a coach, Monty Williams, who in some ways he's demonstrated he's a good coach, which I haven't seen at all from Chauncey Billups, but whatever. Monty Williams, I believe, did fail because that balance is tricky. because he didn't because he didn't give in to one player and then do his win a little bit. Yes, that's, nah, that's part, stupid. That's part. That's part, that's part of the give and take. That's part of the give and take of leadership. If you can you look can't. at it, if you can point and say, we've had this success doing it this way, I need you to continue to do it and do it more. And we can have more success and climb that mountaintop. And the player says, no, but I'd rather do this. No, You're he says, I've done to- this. I've gone out on uh, the, I've done this for you for a long time. And I'm asking as I'm getting older and I'm coming up on a contract year, this is my career, my livelihood. I'm asking for a, for a slightly different role. And they go, no. Because maybe they thought it would impact the team's success and they'd be worse and not be able to climb that mountaintop and if then they what did happens, that. And then you bench the guy and then you lose your game. Like, that's <laughs> what I'm saying is like, this is a, like, it's not easy. Like I, so I agree with you in this respect, if life and leadership, if, 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 if you could do like fantasy basketball and just for a video game and just, I know what I need to do to get these pieces to work. Like, let's say Chauncey Billups is doing this, I whatever. And you could just tell people to do those things and they didn't have feelings about it or emotions about it or motivations or wants or needs or pressures or, or proclivities or quirks. If that didn't all exist, you could do that, but that is not how life works. And that's not how people work. Mm-hmm. So that's my point with this is that leadership and coaching, there is a balance you need to strike. And it is not all about you do what I say. That's not what coaching and leadership is, especially not in the NBA, especially not in 2022. I I will boil this back down to to what I've said because we, we you and I are, I know because we've had conversations with this you know off off air about this kind of stuff but uh, we're never going to fully agree on on the Chauncey thing but I will boil it down to that I will fully get on board your your happy go lucky little fun choo choo train you got going over there of the of the anti Chauncey the anti Chauncey crowd. <laughs> is that a fun train to be on? I don't know. I don't know. You, you're smiling a lot as you're talking about it. So I'm assuming so if there's not, you can eat buffet in an open bar. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> but I will get there. If this season, you know, turns out, you know, absolute shit. Like we're talking like they're challenging for, you know, tanking for a top five pick kind of shit uh, again. And it's not due to an injury. Um, again, I mentally, I throw out last season because there was an obvious goal to tank after a certain Damian Lillard got injured. Uh, we'll see what he can do and how this roster progresses. Because again, you know, the, the long prevailing theory is that, you know, Chauncey needs Chauncey guys, he worked with Joe. I feel as though he got a decent amount of Chauncey guys. So, okay. He got, he got the pieces he wanted. Some of the pieces he wanted. Uh, we'll see what he can do with those. And if he can't put them in positions to succeed or be on a journey towards succeeding, then yes, I can judge him until, until he gets a full season with That's all his such toys. a safe answer though, until he gets a full season under his belt. Well, I, it's, 
Yeah, you're allowed I'm to wait have, until you're this allowed... team explodes before I say he's not a good coach. Like I, I agree, but like that's not saying a much. That's not saying much. Hey, well, I'm one, trying one, to one take a point. measured approach here. It shouldn't be we're great or we suck. You're allowed to land in the middle sometimes. I'm not saying that he is a bad coach. What I'm saying is that virtually the only evidence that I have is that he's not good at coaching NBA talent. The team did best when they had a bunch of people who are not in the league playing. And you know why I think that is? I think that's because that top-down approach works a hell of a lot better with people who don't have any equity in the league and aren't going to stick in the league. That's what nah, I think. So, I think, I think but, that works. I think that works a heck of a lot better when you don't fully have a, much scouting on, on those guys. And when you realize that the tank, you're not going to send out a scouting true. department. You're also not going to pay money to point. send out a scouting department when it's just like, ah, we're playing their G leaguers. One thing real quick. And this, I this said one of, more point. No, I get one more point. Then you get one more point and then we can move on. Cause if you get the last point, then you can transition us. Ha ha. No, how, but wait, how, I, the, butter, I, how the bread's made. Fine. And one of the Make big the bread. Okay. Make before bread. Damian Lillard, before Damian Lillard signed this extension, obviously he knows the direction of the team and the plan of Joe Cronin and Chauncey Billups and the organization better than anybody else. I don't think he would have signed this extension if Olshay was still here. But one of the things for me that stuck out in some reporting about how that went is that Chauncey talked to Dame and said, it's not my job to I'm, it's not my job to sell you. It's not my job to recruit you. Uh, you are a grown man who can make your own decisions. You're not a college, you're not a high school kid that I'm trying to convince to come to college. So I'm not going to, you know, make all these promises and make all these declarations. You do what's best for you, what's best for your family and best, best for your career. Here is the vision that we have. And if you're on board with that vision, then we'd love for you to sign the extension. By all accounts, that's, that's, you know, not direct quotes, but that's, you know, kind of how that went. And I appreciate Billups going to Dame and talking to Dame like another human being and not like a, a, a product or, you know, anything like that to open it up to him, talk to him and be like, you do what's best for you, but here's what we have in mind. And if that sounds good to you, we'd love to have you for those two years sign on the dotted line. For yeah. me, that kind of reporting, that's the kind of coach I want. I don't want him in there bullshitting a star player. So that that also helps kind of lean and inform my decision in that regard. So that's fair. And I think that's good. I mean, like any leader, you have to have a general sense of what the thing is that you're trying to do. I guess my my overarching point is that especially nowadays, more so than maybe 20 years ago, leadership is not about do this thing. It's about, we need to do something and it's more complicated. It's, yeah, it's messier nowadays. It is. It's leadership is harder nowadays. That's why you have like executive coaches and leadership programs and blah, like, because it's, it's not as easy to manage people because people generally now are a little bit more emotionally intelligent, more willing to stand up for themselves and have as of the woke mob. No, sorry. Yeah, Cause of the woke <laughs> mob. That's right. Yeah. It's the woke mob. That's right. Ryan. One more point on this and we will move on. I, and I've said this before too, but coaches have talked about two of which have blazers ties. One of which we just talked about Monty Williams, the other one, Nate McMillan, both of them specifically talked about their coaching evolution. And they both specifically talked about flexibility as being one of the most important points in their coaching evolution. Nate McMillan was virtually out of the league before he got another chance to come back and now is coaching, uh, 
he's with the Hawks at this point and you know, he may be on the hot seat and whatever, like he, maybe his time in the NBA will come to a close soon, but like Nate McMillan is, I mean, what was his nickname when he was coaching Seattle and Portland Sarge Sarge? Why? Because he was he, a drill sergeant. Correct. And what he's talked about, he needed as a coach to let go of that persona and become more flexible. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't expect uh, Chauncey in year two to figure out the shit that took Nate McMillan how many years to figure out. But yes. And, but that is, I think reflective of leadership and coaching. And again, particularly remember the NBA players now have a lot more power and autonomy than they used to. That's what makes coaching difficult. It is harder, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I, I do respect to end on a, on an agreement note. I respect your unwillingness to, to make a judgment because it is too early. And I do agree with that. So, um, let's move on to someone else <laughs> on this Who, team. Who's, who's next to throw under this bus? No, uh, I am driving this bus and it's heading right for Yusuf Nurkic. So I have another little intro to this too. And I'm, I appreciate that you're humoring you, me with these. You've personally pissed him off. He has blocked me on Twitter. He then blocked our account on Twitter. And I definitely didn't goad him into that. Um, <laughs> are you pulling up the tweet? I'm no, I'm seeing if I'm blocked, if he blocked you, I want to find out <laughs> if I, if I probably, you're probably not blocked. Um, so yeah, I just want to go through a quick little history lesson here with Yusuf Nurkic. Okay. And, and I did some digging to do this. So reward my research here by clapping and bowing and saying, good job, Brandon. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, in 2016, when Nurkic was with the Nuggets, the Denver Post wrote, Nuggets Center Yusuf. I'm alive. You're not blocked. Good for I'm you. You might be after this. God. Uh, in 2016, the Denver Post wrote, Nuggets Center Yusuf Nurkic charged with getting into better shape. In 2017, when he came to Portland, KGW said summer workouts have a really slim Nurkic in good shape. In 2020, Rip City Project said Yusuf Nurkic looking ripped in gym. In 2021, Oregon Live said Yusuf Nurkic still rounding into shape. And then in September, in September of this year, so literally last month, Chauncey Billups, who we were just talking about, Chauncey Billups said of Yusuf Nurkic, who was participating in Eurobasket, Chauncey Billups said, because you're playing the right way with the purpose and obviously because of that experience, you will be in shape. Yusuf Nurkic said during media day, I am in season shape. Literally the week after he said he was in shape, Chauncey Billups said, you know what? He's not in shape. And then what we saw from Yusuf Nurkic in preseason was he was doubled over huffing and puffing and grabbing his knees and committing city silly fouls because the dude isn't in shape. This has been his problem his entire career. Why is Yusuf Nurkic not in shape? He just got paid. I don't understand. I'm mad about it. Tell me, walk me off this ledge. What is wrong with Yusuf Nurkic? I can't walk you off the ledge, but I will tell you this, that any athlete in any sport coming into a season and it having be, and it being reported or them saying that they are in the best shape of their life is basically the free space on the bingo card. But it's literally with this dude every single year, it's something about him being fat or thin or in shape or out of shape. It's, and then it flipped. It literally flipped within weeks this year. He wasn't that he wasn't. Yeah. What I is do, going on? I do find it funny. It's got to be. 
It's I, sad. I it's not I even can't, funny. It's I can't, terrifying. I can't explain it because when he was playing over, you know, in, in Eurobasket and, and whatnot, he was the focal point. And so for part of me, like, I don't know if being in shape, like when you're actually in shape can be mental, but I'm starting to think it can be because if oh, he's in, totally can because when, yeah, if, 100%. If, you know, I'm you're, you're the workout freak out of the two of us. Uh, so <laughs> you, you, you can talk a little more about this, but like when he was over there, he was playing great. He wasn't winded, but he was also like the number one slash number two option on his team. He was getting a healthy, bing, do- bing, 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 bing. he was getting a healthy dose of it. So I'm not sure if like the adrenaline of that is, is that big of a boost. And then now that he comes over and he's looking at being, you know, like fourth on the pecking order, you know, if, if that's just causing him to check out, but yeah, it doesn't look good for you, bud. When you come in in media day and say, I feel like I'm in December shape (laughs) and in in game one or game two of the preseason, 10 minutes into a game, you're looking like you need to take a nap during some free throws. (laughs) So I don't, I, I don't, maybe it's when he got back to Portland. I don't know. He went on like a chicken wing binge or something and he just needed to work the fried grease out of his system. I don't know. But at the same point in time, like I was okay with the NERC contract. It's about what I thought he was going to get paid. He's not getting overpaid. You're trending more towards that being like the average price for a starting center, especially when you look at, you know, we look at all these deals that are coming out now, you know, like Jordan, what was it? Uh, Jordan pool, um, you know, getting like the four years, 120 or something like, I don't know, but you look at, we look at these contracts and we're like, Oh my God. And then you have to take an account that salary cap is going to massively jump and that these contracts are now going to, or later on going to seem like bargains. The thing for me that stuck out with that contract that he got is that it was four years. I think that was a little stupid. Now, some of the things that I'm kind of reading through the tea leaves is that because it's a friendly deal and because there's a cap jump, you know, a lot of speculation so far has been that the blazer, you know, you might, probably expect Josh Hart to not be on the team after the trade deadline. You know, he, he may be a very attractive trade piece. This point in time, I'm thinking Nurk might be out there as an attractive trade piece. You know, there might be some sort of backwoods agreement of, uh, you know, Hey, you got a malcontent over there. We got a malcontent over here. Uh, ours is, ours is significantly cheaper and he, he can be serviceable for you. So, you know, why don't we just swap problems and see if we can solve each other's problems? You know, pick, you can pick out which team I'm talking about there, but. You know, I don't know. I want to go back to. I'm not. I want to go back to something you said a second ago. Okay. You said I don't know if being in shape can be mental. Yes, it can. Well, it it's not in can. the regards of like forcing yourself into the gym or, or forcing yourself to work out. Cause I understand that, that part of the mental of it, but the, if you're actually in shape that it being mental to use your in shapeness, I don't know. Go ahead. Yes. It def- no, it, do- it definitely can. Like part of, exercise, any kind of exercise, but maybe even especially cardiovascular exercise, it's discipline. People who, you know, a lot of times when people don't like running, for example, or things that make them huff and puff, it's not because they physically can't do it. It's because it's, it's not comfortable. It's not. And like you, you've heard people who, who run a lot. They talk about like a runner's high. Like I can say for myself, I didn't start running until a couple of years ago. 
I didn't know what that was. I thought that was made up as I kept doing it and I kept pushing through and this sucks and I hate it. And I feel like shit. I started getting that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I see what people are talking about now, but here's the thing like, yeah, it does take discipline. It takes commitment, it takes will. And like, I'm not putting Yusuf Nurkic being in bad shape on Chauncey Billups. Cause again, this is something that's been going on for a long time. But I do strongly believe there's a mental component to like whether or not he wants to play with discipline and like whether he wants to push through discomfort. And the more you push through discomfort, the more your body then adapts and responds. And so there is like an adaptive part of it too, right? Like if you keep yeah. pushing yourself a little bit, then you like, so physical and mental component are definitely locked in. <clears throat> I'm concerned. The contract doesn't concern me, but like I'm concerned because who wants to trade for this guy? Exactly. Like his stats look good. I think Yusuf Nurkic is probably the biggest empty stats dude in the NBA at this point. Oh, he gets 15 and 11. Yeah. Does it impact winning? Like, like that's the problem with it. Like you, in his, in the biggest moments in his career, Yusuf Nurkic has wilted. He's wilted. He's, yeah. And if, if you're getting 15 and 11, it doesn't matter if, you know, at the tail end of a close game, you're throwing out frustration fouls or lackadaisically right. setting screens. Those are the things that impact winning, you know, or you just happen to be the tallest guy near the basket and picking up a garbage defensive rebound. Like that doesn't mean anything. Right. So like, or being the tallest guy near the basket and settling for a hook shot instead of just using your strength and physicality to dunk over fools. And it's a double problem when who are Yusuf Nurkic's backups? Trendon Watford and nope. Drew Eubanks. Nope. You're forgetting Sar Olivia Sar. Wow. Yeah. He's going to save the season. So like, Hey, I, I like I what guess, I saw his footwork when I was there for the Maccabi game. You like what you saw? You like what you saw? Okay. Get it? That's low hanging fruit. I'm well, kidding. I'm just, you know, I, I had to do it to you. I'm concerned about Nurkic. I'm concerned about the center rotation. I think that's going to be a problem. Everybody's and, and the, been concerned about the center rotation. Find me a living soul that keeps up with the intricacies of these, this team that hasn't been crying that the Blazers need more tall people. Again, a micro the, the big, the biggest problem to your point too, is like who wants to trade for use of Nurkic? The contract is, is reasonable ish, but like if he doesn't play well, how, who, how, how are you going to trade him? Are you going to attach assets to it? That seems like a bad move. Like, no. I, so I think I, again, I, as I said, I think you use it where it's, you know, malcontent for malcontent. You, it, it's not, it's not necessarily a swapping problems. It's a, we can't fix this. You can't fix this. You want to give it a go with this guy. Yeah. Let's switch problems and see if we can make that work. You know, I, I mean, guess. we, and, and, and for history context on that, you saw a little bit of that when Nurk first came over to the Blazers, he was the malcontent for Denver. So Portland was like, all right, fine. We'll, we'll take him. We'll see what we can do with him." And he had that complete career flip. So, I mean, it is possible to do it, you know, swap out, you know, those kind of things, and but he was, and look for that like brief moment in time, he was highly motivated. He, he, he wanted to say, fuck you to Denver. And he did. And he became Nurkic became a cultural icon in Portland very, very quickly. And it's, I think it's incredible how much that goodwill has evaporated because we know what he can do. And it's not, it, it's not anything besides his choosing not to do it, which yeah, and we're, and we're not shitting on him for the sake of shitting on him. It's exactly for the reason that you said of that. We, we know what he can do. We know what he's capable of. And when, and when he set the bar at that place, I mean, we're not asking him to be Jokic for crying out loud, but when he said, but when he set the bar where he did and, you know, regardless of injury or whatnot, when he's continuously coming in just below it, it, we're kind of like, dude, we, we know what you can be at your best. And can you just please continue to do that? 
Right. By the way, this actually dovetails nicely into the conversation about coaching and leadership because part of where Chauncey Billups could show that he's an effective coach is yank him there. What's that? Yank him. Give him the short leash. Uh, actually, I was not going to say that. I was going to say that there's a theory that Nurkic was pissed at Terry Stotts about his defensive role that he was asked to do too much defensively. If Chauncey Billups can find that balance of getting enough people to kind of buy into the vision or help create a vision and take some of the pressure off of Nurkic defensively, dot, 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 will that make Nurkic more motivated to do right? So that all of this connects and all of it's a balance. Mm-hmm. We mentioned trades. Well, now, I want to get into quick. last bit on this. And it was one of the funny things. If you look at the first preseason game compared to the last preseason game, you know, in that first preseason game against the Clippers there, they, you know, they were showing heavy on screens. They were, they were playing very high up on, 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 on pick and rolls, you know, and then compare that to the very last preseason game where Chauncey was like, all right, well, let's try this, you know, something that everyone's a little more comfortable with switching everything, going under screens, massive drop coverage, and just absolutely destroyed. So it, it, it's funny because it could be that, you know, I, it, just for like maybe a peek behind a curtain, you know, some, some trying to guess what a thought was is, you know, if Nurk's like, Hey, I, you know, I don't want to be doing this, 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 you know, that's taken a lot out of me playing that, that high up. All right, fine. Let's go back to this drop. Let's see how it works. And they get destroyed. And then Chauncey gets to go. All right, well, we tried it your way. Can we try to find a happy medium here? Maybe it's something like that. You know, you, we don't know those behind the scenes things on how those go. So, but that was such a massive shift in their defensive scheme between game one and game five. Like it wouldn't surprise me if like, especially in a preseason where it doesn't matter if a coach of anything would throw out a purpose pitch of like, if the locker room's going, well, can we try this? Can we try this? And Chauncey's like, all right, fine. We'll try it your way. Here's a 40 point loss. Let's go back to my way. (laughs) Right. And you're, you're right. Like we don't, we're not in on those conversations, but I like the thinking behind it. And I like the theory of it because that's the kind of stuff that does need to happen to be a good leader and, and yeah. for someone like Nurkish to actually yeah buy into the and empowering your people is empowering them to fail, to show them, to be able to show them that, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe I have something, you know, it's, you, you let your, you let people screw up to kind of right. bring them along. Okay. That's right. Moving on. No, it's good. So was there anything you want to hit on before we now get into the last part of the podcast, the season predictions? Uh, only other little thing, you know, I'm massively surprised by Keenan Johnson's, uh, play so far. Uh, that's, that's for somebody who we all for a while were just kind of thinking was a throw in piece. And we were, you know, trying to tack him onto every trade imaginable for, well, if we do a pick and Keon Johnson, you know, if we do for one, you can still do that. And it's absolutely fantastic that he's playing significantly better because that only ups a, a, you know, his, his trade value, but, uh, it is nice. I don't know. Uh, I'm a, I'm a spurned blazer fan. It is nice to know that there is a competent backup point guard somewhere on the roster. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> that I is, mean, that isn't a starter friend for as many guards as the blazers have. It doesn't hurt to have another useful piece that can either play or to your point, be a trade asset dudes, 20 years old, by the way. Like, yeah. it's funny that like former the way, pick. yeah, the, the book has been far from written on this guy's career. He's six, four, six, five. So he's not tiny. Like he's got some length. He's got some height. He's well, shown some playmaking ability that I would love to see him throw some more lobs to shade and sharp. Give me some more of that. Yep. And that's, that's my next one is cause I think that's the most more polarizing one. Shaden sharp is showing that he, you know, 
he has the athleticism. He has the skills. It was funny um, because in game one of the preseason, when he got in there and he was getting his run and he was getting, you know, for lack of a better term, like regular quote unquote, regular rotation minutes, you know, uh, he was doing nothing but standing in the corner just fading to the corner, not sure of himself trying to pick a spot. And then in that, you know, Maccabi game, you know, when I was there, just he freed himself a lot and opened himself up and, and played his game. He, I, I find it fascinating. The, you need to play Shaden. You need to play Shaden. Yeah. He needs to play. I'm not, he's not going to start. He's not going to get significant minutes. He's still young and the kid needs to just get a little bit of seasoning in the NBA. He's shown that he, he has it, but he still needs some time to cook and develop. And it's not always necessarily just from what I, from an outside observer's perspective, especially with all the hype and talk around him and, and uh, well, we haven't seen him play. And did he mentally quit when he was in college? Those kind of things. He strikes me as that he might be a little bit, sensitive mentally. So throwing him into the fire and expecting him to immediately succeed or fail is not going to be necessarily the best seasoning that you can give him for ultimate success. I, I would push back on that point. I don't think we've seen that. I don't think that him choosing not to play college has anything to do with him being sensitive. He probably was just protecting. No, no, no. I'm not saying that was him choosing to be sensitive. I'm talking about like, you know, when you're a rookie in the NBA and trying to find your role or or what he, he does kind of strike me as just an outward persona or whatnot. And again, this is an outsider's observation. I, I could be absolutely wrong. And he's the most outgoing human being on the planet. He strikes me for lack of a better term as, as, as rather introverted or whatnot. And introverts will tend to internalize a lot of stuff, you know, so he's obviously heard the, the bull crap that has been out there of what can he do? You know, why did he sit out? You know, nobody, nobody wants to buy the actual story of that. You know, he probably got an agent in his ear that said, Hey, you can be a lottery pick. If you don't play, save your body, take it for what it's worth. And if that was good or bad advice, but then people are like, can he actually play? Yeah. Can he actually play? What can he do? All these questions surrounding him. Then he comes out and, you know, summer league and, gets injured after, you know, right away. And then in game one, all he's doing is floating to the corner. And so those questions still linger. And then, you know, he has a couple of games where he absolutely shows out and then the script flips to like, Oh, he needs to play all the minutes and whatnot. I'm saying, be careful with some of these younger rookies. They, and especially the ones that do strike me as being a little more introverted, a little more, you know, that uh, a meant, especially in a young part of your career, you, it, you can develop some fucked up mental hangups. So I don't think in that case, I'm saying he doesn't need to be thrown into the fire sink or swim, you know, ask, ask the world of him because we're like, Oh, well, he's really good. So he needs to play because he can go out there and against real live NBA bullets, you know, not, not be all that great. And then does that affect him mentally? Does he start questioning himself? Does that then affect his play? You know, a lot of this stuff as we've been talking about throughout this podcast, uh, the mentality of a player massively affects their game. So that's just my view on him. I, 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 I think he'll get a lot of like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine minutes, a couple nights, and then followed by a couple DNPs. And it'll, it'll probably sway that way back and forth throughout the season. And during his DNPs, Billups is going to get his feet raked over the fire of why aren't you playing him? You need to develop this young rookie. We wasted a high lottery pick on him, yada, yada, yada. You know, I I also try to look at it this way. Uh, How many minutes was Ant getting granted massive difference in where they were picked? Yes. But you know, Ant has turned into the player that he is now because he was proper. You know, he got, he got his licks. He, he wasn't, you know, 
it, he was developed. The Blazers, as True, an or- I mean, the Blazers as an organization have shown that they are capable of developing NBA players. So I'm going to, even though it's a kind of different regime now, I'm, until they prove to me that they can no longer do that, I'm going to trust in them to do that. Yeah, Terry Stotts definitely did that. Thank you, Terry. Um, I preface so that it, with different regime. Well, I know. I'm just saying. So here, the, the, the one guy who hated all rookies was best with the rookies. Oh my god! One thing is that Shaden Sharp is bigger, and so I think that like just right off the bat, physically, he can hang a little bit more easily than Ant could when he first came in the league. That's one difference. Yeah, Ant um, looks jacked now. That hey, man, look, yeah, that, that man, that on man. This Steph Curry, small guy turns into a big guy diet, which I like. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll, we will talk more about shade and sharp as the year progresses. I'm quite sure. I mostly agree with you. I would probably tend to say I would rather him get the minutes and get the reps. If he's showing flashes that he can really hang, if he gets enough regular practice and regular reps, like could he be, you know, useful quicker than maybe some of us thought we don't know yet. Um, I like that he's shown flashes and shown pops. That's encouraging. That's all you can ask for within preseason. So, so far for me, Shaden Sharp, I like him a lot. I do want to talk about him more, but not today. Are we ready to go to season predictions? Yes. Let's go. Okay. So, uh, Here's what I want to ask you. We have some listener questions peppered in, but basically we've talked a lot about this team in this episode. We talked about the off season a little bit, talked about preseason, talked about some of the important players uh, and the coach. So I guess what I want to ask is what do you think is going to happen with this team this year? You can answer that however you want. Um, what do you think is going to happen with this team this year? I'm not, yeah, I'm just going to stop there. You can answer it however you want. What do you think is happening with the Portland Trailblazers in 2023? I think they'll play 82 basketball games. That's a great prediction. And I think if you put money on that, you would get your money back and then some. No, like I said, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, Cause again, it, if you go back and listen a couple episodes ago, which for us was months ago, but in your, uh, in your scrolling on your uh, podcast feed, that's like maybe two, three episodes ago. Uh, I had previously said that I, I could see this team being, you know, three or four in the West, you know, again, but that was me looking at it on paper. Now that I've seen some of them actually playing in a preseason and, and all that fun stuff, uh, I'm adjusting my expectations massively. I'm going to put them probably at about, you know, 41, maybe 42 wins. Okay. You know, that could put them as uh, challenging for, you know, a play-in. Um, but I also can see their ceiling, you know, if players develop, if, if you know, you get buy-in. Depend- we know that this team is going to be very active at the trade deadline. They have done everything but hold up a sign that says, please call <laughs> to telegraph that they are going to be very active at the trade deadline and continuously try to improve this team. Trade um, is coming. Yes. A trade is coming. And you know, uh, thank you, Josh Hart. Uh, uh, you, you will, we will appreciate our time together. Um, but so Bye. I could, I could also see their ceiling and that's not the shit on Josh Hart. Josh Hart no, is just one of those plug and play kind of player. Yeah. The, he's just one he's of those. Plug and play. Yeah. He's a, glue, he's a glue guy that can fit on any team. So anyways, um, you know, I could see their ceiling being a, a six seat. If, if things go well, trades are made properly and the, and depending on where they land, you know, that can accelerate or decelerate their timeline. You know, if they end up making like the, the plan, I probably expect them to not make the playoffs from that. I don't think that's going to be an abject failure for me. It is not first round or bust 
or championship or bust. Uh, it is. I just want to see this team improve, make market improvements. If will the if with this full complement of of starters and whatnot, they end up, you know, absolutely sucking. It's uh, th- that'll be a disappointment. They're going to need to pivot accordingly. But again, I put their I put them somewhere between you know a ten seed and a six seed. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of my my outlook on that season. I, I agree with you almost to a T. I said my prediction is forty one wins, ninth seed. A couple things. Dynamics. By the way, I, I will preface real quick. Uh, I put forty one to forty two because I got the forty and a half. So I, okay, that's there, I do have a monetary interest in it. Uh, realistically, I, I, oh my could, God, I, you and your I, gambling, I, Jesus Christ. Yeah. The Mariners just cost me most of my freaking gambling funds. So I got to reload. Ryan, <laughs> too bad. You didn't bet it would go 18 innings scoreless. <laughs> that was anyway. Um, not talking about baseball on this podcast. I uh, left to coach my son's soccer game in the eighth inning and directly told people do not ruin the score for me. And then when the game was over, I look over and my wife is on the sidelines holding her phone. I'm like, there's no way this game is still going on. Did it go to extra innings? She's like, yep, we're in the 11th. And then I got home and proceeded to watch baseball for another four hours. I just said, we're not talking baseball on this pod. So yeah, it was a crazy game. Um, I said 41 wins, ninth seed, couple dynamics at play, and then a couple listener questions. And then we're going to get out of here. But like one dynamic in the NBA you have someone named Victor Wembignana, the most highly touted prospect since LeBron James, period. Full stop. Uh, incredible. If you haven't seen this dude play, you need to do it right now. It's unbelievable. Also coming with a lot of the cool nicknames for tanking. This was pulled pulled from Reddit via No Dunks. My favorite is uh, Play Miserable. Uh, my second favorite is play bad for the French lad. Uh, I also like win manana for Wembenyana. <laughs> so the, 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 the NBA is going to be tanking like it's never tanked before, especially because the lottery odds have oddly no pun intended had the opposite effect of preventing tanking. Now that the lottery odds are flatter, more teams think they have a chance and do have a chance. And it's not just Victor Robignana. It's also Scoot Henderson. Both are incredible prospects. This is going to be a really a nice draft at the top. That's affecting well, things. So are some games easier to keep? Yeah. Are some games for the Blazers going to be easier to come by because of that? Perhaps working against them is that the Western conference is tough. A lot of my prediction is not about the Blazers not having good talent. I mean, this is one of the more interesting compositions the Blazers have had in a little while. The West is really hard this year. You've got the Warriors and the Clippers. I think the Suns, if they get their shit together, something really good. And the Nuggets are going to have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. That's tough. The Timberwolves got Rudy Gobert. The Grizz Grizzlies won 57 games last year. The Pelicans have Zion back. That's already right there. That's seven teams that I think are quantifiably much better than the Blazers. And then you have the Mavericks and you have, what are the Lakers going to do? The Kings look pretty good. You're already pushing at that point down 10th, 11th, 12th. That's rough. Yeah. What I find funny too, is I'll be really interested to see how the records of the teams in the West 
how inflated those wind totals are going to be because you look because at all the tanking. because of all the tanking and all the right. tanking is going to come from the west coast you have the spurs you have the, uh, uh you have the rockets uh you have oklahoma city you know whoever the else jazz. yeah jazz in there i mean hell you've just knocked off a quarter of the freaking conference that's going right. to actively tank and real quick before anybody asks or wonders the blazers it is almost a hundred percent impossibility that they can suck enough to be in that top four. They would need to be bad enough to finish top 10 and get ping pong odds and have the lottery gods go in their favor, but they will not suck enough to end up anywhere near being in a top four for the lottery. To that point, listener questions really quick from Brandon McIntyre at Brandon McIntyre. What's up, BMAC? Uh, Brandon asked, where's your head at if the Blazers are five and 15? Actually, let me rephrase. Where's your head at when the Blazers are five and 15? Play better. I'm going to be feeling pretty bad, man. I mean, that's a simple, simple answer. I told him yeah. yesterday on Twitter, I'm like, my head's going to be up my ass in denial. And that's, I mean, that's like, they do have a tough opening schedule, but like, that's going to be rough. I don't want to see that here. Um, here how are you five and 15? If, if you're in getting, look, well, I mean, look no, at the games. If, playing. I know, but if you're in blowout fashion, having no business in any games, or if you're losing games by one, two points last minute here's here's the 90 percent of fans though does it matter to me (laughs) either win or you don't here's the thing for me i was so out of it last year i i cannot tell you the last time i've watched so few trailblazer games because i did not care and there was nothing at stake so i i was passive i did not schedule my activities around thing when blazers were playing if the blazers Force me to that point at being five and 15. Cause it is just such bad basketball. I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be livid, but if they're competitive and fun games, but they're still losing them, losing close games. If you keep my interest, I'm fine. If you lose my interest, I'm livid. I'll be more fine, but I'll, I won't be fine. I'm, it's not going to make me happy. Uh, also related question to this, like tanking and, and not tanking two more one from Patrick Bernhardt at PDX big Tum. Do the Blazers make a push into the playoffs or do they end up a lottery team and keep their own pick? So it's top 14 protected, right? So if you make the playoffs, you give it to Chicago. Yes. Yep. I basically like it because we're both, we're both saying about 41 wins right around the play in like, and I think I heard you already answer this, but go for it. Well, this is where I completely contradict myself, but it's only because for the franchise (laughs) (laughs) where, because I think the best thing for the franchise moving forward, they're so hamstrung. Like if they negotiate removing protections around this pick, it's not going to happen until like where they can evaluate where they are, you know, right around the trade deadline, let the pick go so that they have, it opens up so many more tools in your cabinet than just having this, this thing floating over your head. You can trade whatever future first that you want. Uh, All of your options are on the table. Then as soon as you get rid of this pick, but until, but until you do, you are so limited in what you can do because you can't trade pick first round hold, picks in consecutive hold, years. Hold that thought. And I'm going to let you keep going because this last question from shaggy squid at shaggy squid kind of getting to what you just said, but please expand on it. Shaggy squid asks, would you rather the blazers make the playoffs and be a first round exit to free up future first and allow more options for a big move this off season or 
miss the playoffs draft with their own pick and a loaded draft who can maybe help immediately, but have less off season options. I think you're answering that already. Option number one, because okay. also, also to thinking about it, you know, these there's, there is for as stupid as, as some people think there is something to be said for gaining playoff experience um, and whatnot as a group, as a team, not just in individual players, because you look up and down this roster, various players have been in the playoffs on, on various teams, you know, Jeremy Grant, who, you know, uh, absolutely looks absolutely fantastic. He's everything as advertised right now for this team. I mean, you're seeing him in preseason season games be upset about the number of turnovers he had and people are having to tell him well bud just chill out like that we're preseason game number two you're fine but anyway Gary Payton playing meaningful minutes in the finals for a championship team exactly so there's there's playoff experience up and down this roster but there's something to be said for a team as a as a whole as a unit getting yeah. playoff experience so you know a first, a first round exit and bus I mean Memphis is a prime example of that uh but uh, a first round playoff exit is, is not the worst thing. And also, especially too, if it does convey the pick and open you up, because like, if you keep your pick this year, then yes, you can trade this year's pick maybe, or trade the player after the fact, after you make the pick, you know, whatever, there's the hoops that you got to jump through. But if you convey the pick, you know, you can be like, great. Now all of our future first round picks are on the table for, for whatever trades we want to make in the, in the off season. So it's, you know, while I think that they probably, you know, might fall on the bubble of missing the playoffs, it's not it, you know, I prefer them in this question, in this scenario, make the playoffs get, finalize that freaking deal, open up your cabinet, get some playoffs experience as a team and, you know, go from there. I guess my big thing is whatever the Blazers do this year, I hope that the path becomes clear early because if it like, let's say the worst happens and Chauncey Billups can't coach and Nurkic is out of shape and Dane goes down. All this stuff happens and they just right away, they're like, this ain't happening. Then go ahead and, and tank, which is also like, there's a component of Damian Lillard's not getting any younger. He's already in his late prime like that. I'm uncomfortable. I'm just saying real, though, it's real quick, real quick though. The only pushback I have on that is because the organization Phillips Cronin have talked to Dame. Again, I mentioned it earlier. Dame knows the plan and what the goal is and what the path is as much as those two do. And I maintain that he would not have signed that extension regardless of just get the bag. If he didn't have faith in them to execute it and wasn't okay with it himself. So yes, while it is uncomfortable for us to sit here and go like, Oh, you're wasting his prime. There is an aspect of that. Dame knows that the plan involves not wasting his prime, even if it is yeah. kind of slowly kicking the can down till next year. Anyway, sorry for that interruption. Continue. No. You're good. I agree with you. I just, again, like to Shaggy's question, whatever they choose to do, my hope is that it's an organizational decision that they're able to make early, that it's not like, boy, we, we just, you know, we got a really, really, really late lottery pick, which is sort of the worst of all worlds. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, I tend to agree with you. The playoff experience does matter. So we both basically have said to kind of put a cap on this and to close out about 41 wins right around the play in, but we'll see. I think that we're, that's our predictions. We're to lock them in. You can hold us accountable for them later, but we're really not going to know until they start playing the season. So we'll see. We will be back at some point soon. I will be recording from a different continent. I'm moving to New Zealand, right? I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. You will be recording from the future. The 
future over the international dateline is unbelievable i will know the news before it happens if you want to keep up with us you always can do that at we like the blazers.com at like the blazers find me at goldner pdx find that dude at the the witty ryan until next time appreciate you all thank you all and go blazers go blazers Editing this is going to suck. <laughs>